0: The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you?
1: This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia for this Monday, April 3rd in Hong Kong, Sunday, April 2nd in New York. Coming up today, OPEC Plus announces a surprise cut in oil production of more than a million barrels a day. Tesla deliveries rise to a record after the company cut prices for EVs, and UBS will reportedly cut staff of up to 30%
2: after its takeover of Credit Suisse. China urging Japan not to join the U.S. in the chip curbs. This comes as Japan asks for the return of a detained citizen from Beijing. Trump to be arraigned on Tuesday. Explosion in St. Petersburg kills Russian pro-war blogger. I'm Ed Baxter with Global News. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Available on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts.
1: Good morning, I'm Rashad Salamat. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following
3: today. And we're looking at OPEC Plus because it announced a surprise oil production cut of more than a million barrels a day to abandon previous assurances that it would hold supply steady. Tom Closer, an analyst at Oil Price Information Service, says the move is not a good one for the consumer
2: this is probably worth another 3 4 or $5 barrel on the price of crude, and that means higher prices for gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, you name it.
3: The resulting price hikes could cause more inflation, which may force central banks to keep interest rates higher for longer. The White House calls OPEC Plus's move ill-advised under current market conditions. Today, Saudi Arabia led the cartel by pledging its own 500,000-barrel-a-day supply reduction. Fellow members, including Kuwait, the United Arab Emirates, and Algeria followed suit, while Russia said the production cut was, it was implementing from March to June would continue until the end of the year.
1: UBS is reportedly reducing its workforce by between 20 and 30 percent. Now, these job cuts come after UBS completed its takeover of Credit Suisse. We have more from Bloomberg's Joanne Wong.
3: The Swiss newspaper Sonntag Zeitung reported as many as 11,000 UBS employees will be laid off in Switzerland and another 25,000 will be let go worldwide. Both UBS and Credit Suisse together employed almost 125,000 people at the end of last year. Now we hear some firms are gearing up to recruit some of the investment bankers and wealth managers likely to be let go. They include Deutsche Bank, Citigroup and JP Morgan. Separately, the Financial Times reported Saturday that UBS has a short list of four management consultants to advise on integrating Credit Suisse. The newspaper reported UBS is soon to decide between Bain & Company, the Boston Consulting Group, McKinsey, and Oliver Wyman. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong, Bloomberg Day Asia.
1: Well, in another development, Switzerland's Office of the Attorney General is saying it has opened an investigation into UBS's takeover of Credit Suisse, and the department is
3: working to identify possible crimes. Times. Rashad. All right. Well, let's have a look at Tesla now. As it delivered a record of four hundred and twenty-two thousand eight hundred and seventy-five cars worldwide in the first quarter, and uh, that compares with the about uh, what uh, four hundred twenty-one thousand that analysts had been expecting. Although deliveries were roughly in line. Tesla will have uh, to pick up the pace of deliveries for the rest of the year. That's according to Gene Munster, Deepwater Asset Management, saying that Tesla deliveries grew 36% from a year ago. But Munster pointed out that uh, CEO Elon Musk has called for 50% delivery growth during the company's last earnings call. Tesla even slashed prices early in the year to, de- to boost demand after fourth quarter deliveries disappointed. Elon Musk and Tesla aiming to make between 1.8 to 2 million vehicles this year.
1: Well, the inflation data released in the U.S. last Friday was below estimates. The core rate of the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, or PCE, rose a mere three-tenths of one percent last month. Now, as you know, this is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. This seems to suggest an end of an aggressive rate hike cycle may be near an end. However, the head of the Boston Fed, Susan Collins, says it's simply too early to assess whether Fed policy, where it will go next. My assessment um, at the last meeting, uh, just last week, with the summary of economic projections did suggest an additional uh, rate hike and then pausing and holding over the year. But I need to assess all of the data that's gonna come in between now and when our next meeting is in early May. The new data that I've seen just in the past week uh, has not materially changed how I'm thinking about things. Boston Fed President Susan Collins there, she went on to say the American economy will likely see some credit tightening as the result of the recent turmoil we have seen in the banking system. And she said the path to easing inflation
3: would not necessarily trigger an economic downturn. Rashad? Yeah. And meantime, former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers said it's too early to give any kind of all clear sign on recent financial troubles in the US. Summers said that uh, there's well under a 50% chance of a repeat of the bank runs that brought down Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank earlier uh, in, in, in March. But he did say that there could still be some kind of uh, other accident that causes a constriction in credit.
4: When you have a series of earthquake tremors, it's a fairly long time before you should be in a position to be confident that you've seen the last of them. And that's why the Fed's got such a difficult job.
3: Summer said it's plausible the recent banking woes subside without a big impact on credit, leaving in place serious inflation issues. In such a scenario, he thinks the Fed will have to tighten much more than what is already priced into markets.
1: So, I think it goes without saying that our top story today is this unexpected cut in uh, production of crude oil from OPEC+. And I think it's fair to say it's coming at a very inopportune time, just as some of this disinflationary force seems to be taking hold. And this is undoubtedly going to complicate what the Fed has been trying to achieve. The impact of a cut by 1.1 million barrels will likely lead to higher inflation expectations in the month ahead. So even if credit conditions tighten in the second half as a result of a lot of the stress that we have been seeing in the banking system, the notion of rate cuts, hmm, that may be a little more difficult to conceive. We're going to take a closer look at that dynamic with our guest Peter Cheer of Academy Securities coming up. And before we go to global news, from Dow Jones, McDonald's will reportedly close its U.S. offices temporarily this week. The fast food chain is preparing to inform corporate employees about layoffs as part of a broader restructuring. News is next. China is urging Japan to refrain from joining the U.S. in restricting the export and access to chip-making equipment.
2: Ed Baxter with more from the Bloomberg Newsroom in San Francisco. Eddie? Yeah, that's right, Doug. Uh, Beijing is saying the U.S. is trying to suppress the Chinese semiconductor industry. And the suggestion comes with a veiled threat because it comes at the same time Japan is asking for the swift return of a Japanese citizen being detained in China. Beijing says a chip blockade will only strengthen its resolve and achieve self-reliance. China says the U.S. in the past has suppressed Japan and now is suppressing China. Meanwhile, the U.S. has called on the G7 nations to take joint countermeasures if China engages in economic coercion. Donald Trump, the first former or sitting president to be criminally indicted, is set to be processed, photoed, fingerprinted, and arraigned on Tuesday U.S. His attorney, Joe Tacopina, says that uh, Trump will plead not guilty.
3: He's gearing up for a a battle. Um, You know, this is something that obviously we believe is a political persecution, and I think people on both sides of the aisle believe that. that It's a complete abuse of power.
2: Takapino on ABC is heard here on Bloomberg says they're thinking about a motion to move the trial to Staten Island, but needs to actually see the charges first.
3: We're ready for this fight, and, and I look forward to moving this thing along as quickly as possible to exonerate him. He
2: says if this case wasn't Donald Trump, it would never have gone this far. Now, if there is a trial, the key witness will be Trump fixer Michael Cohen on CBS is heard here on Bloomberg. Cohen says. Well, his testimony will not be about him. This is solely about accountability.
3: I should not be held accountable for Donald Trump's dirty deeds. Let him be held accountable. Let those in his orbit that are truly accountable, like Bill Barr, right, who he used to weaponize the Justice Department against his critics,
2: he says he's ready to be a powerful witness. Meanwhile, Donald Trump last week on Fox News said that the final analysis: Vladimir Putin will win in
5: Ukraine, but ultimately he's going to take over all of Ukraine.
2: So, should a former president be making those kinds of statements? Well, on CNN today, the chair of the Foreign Intelligence Committee, Mike Turner, said that is not a foregone conclusion at all, and people should stop making those kinds of statements. He says Putin didn't expect the kind of help in Ukraine that Ukraine is getting from NATO. Putin has said this is not about Ukraine. This is about Eastern Europe. This is about NATO. This is about our allies. And President Xi of China
1: and, and Putin together said uh, this is a result of, of their trying to turn back
2: 100 years. This is authoritarianism versus democracy. We all need to be on the side of democracy. Now, Turner is in southern Poland today. An explosion at a cafe in St. Petersburg, Russia has killed Vladin. Tataraski, the military blogger who has supported the war in Ukraine. The explosion also injured 25 people. The device was the size of a bar of soap, was hidden in a statuette presented to him. That's a TASS report. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg.
4: Com. Stiefel
2: Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
1: Let's get to our guest. Uh, Peter Cheer is with us. He is head of macro strategy at Academy Securities on the line from here in uh, New York City. Peter, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Just when the market seemed to be taking a little bit of comfort in this uh, reading on the PCE that was below forecast, we have an oil shock now with OPEC plus cutting production unexpectedly by more than a million barrels a day. What does this do to the idea that inflation is going to come down anytime soon?
5: I think it throws a little bit of a wrench into that plan, though just this past week I highlighted how much freight uh, shipments were down in the U.S., the imports into ports were way down, so it's actually not surprising if OPEC is responding, because they're probably seeing demand for oil shrink as the economy is slowing, so to me that's a bit of confirmation the economy is slowing, that's why OPEC is responding that way. And the flip side of this, it's probably a good reminder of the geopolitical influences that are around right now, where countries in the Middle East are less dependent on the U.S. than they once were, and may be, I don't want to say lashing out, but expressing their frustration at policies towards the Middle East at us.
3: The the thing is, how much of an impact will this have on inflation? Uh, And that's going to be key here as we look at the Federal Reserve.
5: I think it's not going to have as much as people think. Obviously, the price of oil is going to go higher. I think it's trading five or six dollars a barrel more, and that's going to put some pressure on the system. But as a whole, I think it's in response to the slowing that they're seeing, that showing up in the data, that freight's turning down, that things like the Baltic Dry have been turning down. So I think it's going to create a little bit of inflation fear early in the week. But to me, it's really going to resonate with the recession is coming crowd and people are going to be able to talk about OPEC doing this because they're seeing so much less demand because the economy is slowing much more than the official data is hinting at.
1: But I'm wondering if we begin to see a move up in inflation expectations even before some of the uh, data points begin to roll over and whether or not that complicates uh, the Fed's job and, and the notion of rate cuts really are taken off the table between now and the end of the year.
5: I think the Fed was already trying to get the rate cuts off the table, and they already have an incredibly tough job trying to figure out what they've already done, have they pushed too far, what triggered the crisis with Silicon Valley Bank. So they were already in a rock and hard place. This is just going to add to that pressure.
3: Right. Now, now, with that in mind, I mean, let's not forget that, uh, you know, as uh, we see what happened with the banks and uh, uh, the, the liquidity issues, when does this also affect credit? And and I mean that uh, we've got these banks who are likely to be pulling up the drawbridges, br- going to be having uh, much stricter criteria for making loans and the like, that that could, of course, act as a, I think the Fed themselves suggested, between 25 and 50 basis points as tightening, but it could be much more, surely.
5: So I think it's happening. The Good news, I guess, in some ways, is that it started happening over a year ago. So when I talked to large banks, large institutional uh, lenders, they were already tightening credit standards. So this has been in the past. So it's going to hurt a little bit more. I think what's really difficult to tell is that it's probably going to hit small and mid-sized companies more than the big companies. Right? I think the big companies have been very good credits. companies that have lent to them have done well. So I'm, I don't think it's going to be dramatic. But it is going to be there. I think we're going to have to watch local economies very closely, because I think this is going to be a very local phenomena.
1: Peter, as you know, we saw enormous volatility in U.S. treasuries uh, for most of the month of March. In your view, are things going to be calmer now as we get into uh, the second
4: quarter?
5: I hope so. But the reality is I don't think they will be. I think we've traded our liquidity system for something that creates the perception of liquidity when you don't get big moves. So everything's super liquid looking, there's low bid offer cost because all these algos are there. But if someone has some size to move, liquidity dissipates pretty quickly and we're heading into the summer. So I think this might just be a brief like respite from that higher volatility.
3: Uh, April is traditionally the best, or if not one of the best uh, months for equities. Um, Are you uh, girding your loins in uh, optimism and anticipation?
5: I am actually not this time. I started being a little bit cautious last week. Obviously, it was wrong as we had a nice three and a half percent equity rally in the U.S. And I'm actually getting more cautious. You know, I had to rethink about was I wrong? What did I miss? And I think the markets got ahead of themselves last week. And I'm looking for a bit of a pullback. And if anything, hopefully for my sake, these higher oil prices push us down a little bit on equities.
1: I'm curious to get your take on China right now, Peter, and how you're viewing what has been a pretty impressive. Um, reopening story. It may be waning just a little bit at the moment, but are, are you bullish on, on the China story?
5: I am not. I continue to see the one thing the U.S. politicians are bipartisan on is their distrust of China, and I think that friction is real. Um, I thought it was encouraging. Jack Ma was allegedly back on shore and being involved in some things, I just see this long-term trend that China is less to do with the U.S., and so that's why I can't get too bullish over China.
3: Uh, Again, you know, know, we've sort of seen the regulatory, um, I guess, uh, storm clouds disappear, but you know, when you've got something like the breakup of Alibaba, doesn't that in any way change your thinking, given that it perhaps may indicate that they are uh, turning more market-friendly once again?
5: There's certainly it, it was an encouraging step. So it made me from, you know, diehard bearish to okay, let's think about what they're doing. But China does play a long game and I can't really tell whether this is a significant concession that's gonna be good for us in the long run or this is just keeping the wheels turning. Right. I think China is very good. Every time the US pushes hard on it, coming up with some plan that lets the US back off and say, Oh, okay, China's playing nice again only to realize six months to a year down the road they're not and I think the earlier segment you were talking about China and Japan on chips. I think that's a much bigger issue. There's this overall, you know, almost chip battle going on. And that's going to override all the little things that we're seeing. So I just can't get that comfortable with China.
1: Well, you mentioned Japan there, Peter. And as you know, at the end of the week, uh, Haruhiko Kuroda will uh, end what has been a 10-year run as uh, the head of the Bank of Japan. A new Governor Kazuo Ueda will take the reins. And there had been a lot, of speculation as to whether or not we're going to see a policy shift on the part of the boj under this new governor is that something you're expecting
5: i would expect to see a little bit of a shift they've been somewhat the one outlier i think as the ecb and fed have been so aggressive japan has done a few things like ease restrictions on their targeting of where the 10-year has to trade but they've still been relatively easy money so it would not surprise me to see them fold into the world order a little bit more and come out a little bit hawkish which i think would be a surprise
3: well, absolutely. What's his
5: legacy? Yeah, that's a hard one to say. I think China, you know, sorry, Japan. The one thing they managed to go through this crisis is they did not have the inflation that the rest of the world had, and that's something I think we're all trying to figure out why. Why not? I do think Japan's actually going to be a really interesting investing story as countries get more and more nervous about China and their sphere of influence, Japan, I think, is a very good foil to that. And I'm expecting Japan to actually do very well over the coming years.
1: So, Peter, if you had to begin the second quarter on taking a a long position in markets globally right now, is is there a case or um, something that you see a scenario that is particularly attractive?
5: I actually like Japan. I think it's interesting and I've got to rethink, I was actually very bullish energy because I believe a lot of people were playing energy from the short side, thinking that that was going to be one way to express the economic slowdown. And OPEC Plus's willingness to you know, restrict that might make that trade even more interesting and could help energy companies across the globe.
3: Uh, Peter, what would be your trade, though? What would be your favorite trade?
5: I like some of the European energy companies that are very progressive in terms of moving towards sustainability, but have a very good core business. So I like that right now. And I would probably buy some long dated treasuries. And overall, I would short some of the more disruptive things that have moved up recently.
1: Very quickly, Peter, on the subject of geopolitics, how are you evaluating that risk globally right now?
5: So, you know, at Academy, we work with 17 retired generals and admirals. We talk about this all the time. We've held some recent summits. There has not been a time in the last five years that we have seen as much geopolitical risk out there and very meaningful geopolitical risk that you could see China selling weapons to Russia, which I think would be dramatic for the markets. North Korea is, you know, saber rattling again. So I'm very nervous and I don't see a lot of good outcomes on the geopolitical front. So that's something I think the market is not pricing in right now.
1: This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street.
3: Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcast. You can also listen live each day
1: on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship
3: New York station is available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130.
1: Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com.
3: I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Rashad Salamath. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia.
0: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want. Optimized for higher level analysis